What's up everyone, I'm Sam Sadomsky. I'm a rock and roller and I live a rock and roll lifestyle and when I wake up and I'm feeling groggy or even just hungover, I can't get my day started without a little Grady's. Grady's is a delicious cold brew and it's based in the Bronx. It's independently owned and operated and I genuinely love the stuff as does everyone who tries it. Uh, you can brew it hot or you can get their cold brew kits which are easy to use and make for a great cocktail, especially for people like me who like white Russians. Um, for your first... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that about you. Sick. <laughs> just cut that. For your first order, use code LATEERA20 and get 20% off site-wide. Nice, that was good. Yeah. Good ad read. Yeah. Thanks. I'm trying to insert a little bit of my personality into it, but I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to override the product because I do like the product. Yeah, we could talk, we could workshop that a little bit for last time. You came on a little bit strong. I think some people who aren't as rock and roll as you might feel like intimidated by Grady's. I think it's more of a hardcore like energy drink style cold brew. Yeah, that makes sense. Note taken. As opposed to smooth, like a smooth session cold brew. We love Grady's. Mm. I'm drinking one. I'm a drinking one for bow bow. <laughs> That's what Grady's will do to you if you drink too much of it. Alright, baby. Alright. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Late Era. The podcast where we talk to you about stuff like Aerosmith's quote unquote back to basics 14th studio album. Honkin' on Bobo, released in the year 2004, containing 11 covers of classic blues and blues rock and R&B songs, and one original, frankly, one of the worst albums I've ever heard in my entire life. Wow. Uh, Put it right up front like that. Yeah, I mean, let's just, let's not beat around the bush. Uh, Generally speaking, um... We use this podcast to discuss the kind of underappreciated dark corners in the later years of classic artists' uh, discographies. Sometimes it's albums we love. Sometimes it's albums we just find sort of morbidly fascinating. And maybe I'm wrong. I hope someone on the show today is going to ride for Bobo. Uh, But for me, perhaps it falls into the latter category. Uh, My name is Andy Cush. I am the bass player in Garcia Peoples and a contributing editor at Pitchfork. My name is Winston Cook Wilson. I make music uh, in the band Office Culture and as Winston CW and uh, co-host of a podcast. Welcome to Chicago as well. Hey, as I said earlier, I'm Sam Sadomsky. I write about music. I make music. I'm just surviving in a ruthless world, fellas. Mm. Grady's helps. Okay. Mm. All right. You're, just tone it down a little bit today. Yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just excited. I'm excited to talk about Bobo because I've wanted to talk about this album for a long time with you guys, and I'm just glad we're finally here. Yeah. I remember. Th- I remember the first time I ever met you, Sam, and the first time that the three of us got together. We had a conversation that I feel like informed the basis of our friendship and definitely the sensibility of this show. Where I think Winston and me both had witnessed this performance by John Oates, in which he was <laughs> pretty convincingly. I, that was the... wow. <laughs> I, I don't. Remember. I thought it was Cat Stevens. I, for I don't reason. remember this at all. Go, go continue. Uh, 
Okay, maybe you maybe you weren't in the office that day. Oh but, uh, no, I I no, I know. Yep, yes, but I I, wa- I watched uh, I watched it on streaming. But yeah, go ahead. Okay, so in our old at our old job, artists would come through and perform little acoustic sets sometimes. And on this day, John Oates came through prepping his new album, uh, which I couldn't tell you the name of, but he was doing this kind of like fedora wearing acoustic guitar playing sort of like I think he may have kind of a blues thing. And I think he may have even covered a Mississippi John Hurt song. He was really, really deep into this kind of like finger picking uh, country blues thing and sort of presented himself as just a blues guy, which prompted Sam to say, uh, do you want to take this away, Sam? Yeah, well, it's just a thing I've noticed, which it's just that there's a certain point where like every white male musician from that era like those boomer artists they get to a point where it's like they make these blues albums where it's just like hell like i've always been a blues man like this is what i do like i'm getting back to my roots and it's like particularly funny with certain artists like you mentioned it like a quote back to basics album from aerosmith but it's like who thinks this is what aerosmith's roots are (laughs) right like (laughs) it's like it's just so it's such an easy cash grab and just such an easy like we didn't want to write anything we didn't have any ideas we wanted to make this as quickly as possible yeah it just becomes so absurd and disrespectful i will give them credit for getting to the idea like over a decade before the rolling stones made blue and lonesome who at least like have some credibility as like guys who were like trading, you know, old blues records amongst each other in their teenage years. I feel like of all the like Stones imitation Aerosmith has ever like has done over their career. This one, they at least they did the blues album before the Stones did. Well, it's just funny because it's like, who even wants to hear that from the Rolling Stones? <laughs> no, like, yeah, no, certainly one. not from Aerosmith. <laughs> they, they they just need to read like Keith Richards' life and be like, oh, that's cool, that's nice. They don't need to actually, yeah, hear it. I don't think. Yeah. Right. By the way, the John Oates album is, is named Arkansas, which is like particularly that's offensive because mm. he's a guy from like Pennsylvania. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when what what's his relationship to Arkansas at all? You know, nothing. Yeah. Mm. This is how it was <laughs> someday for someone at some point in history. <laughs> yeah, I imagine uh, this is how it might have been. <laughs> it's my Bobo scream. My, my favorite vocalist, Steven Tyler. Just a beautiful, beautiful sound to hear. What yes. I like about Sonorous. him is the subtlety, the <laughs> nuance he brings to everything he sings. Yeah. Um, the classic bluesman trope, the hats, they don't really... They aren't really at the hats phase here. I feel like actually Tyler got into hats, but it was a bit later than Bobo. Uh, yeah, I guess there's no hats, and I was like, I have the line, I have the liner notes here, and there's some like insane pictures. Right. So Sam, let's get this out wow, of the way. That's, wow. When I think when I think blues, <laughs> I think about a man who looks like a member of Green Day. There's a hat. Oh, there's a good hat. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry, I take it back. This is definitely a fedora. And Steven the... Tyler is deep into the hats. Let's clarify here. Sam is right now is uh, taping from his his uh, childhood bedroom, right? Yeah, aka the boneyard. The boneyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Bobe Central Station. Um, yeah, this is where I first heard Bobo as a small child <laughs> in Pennsylvania. <laughs> 
Where where uh, were you where were you storing your CD copy of Honkin' on Bobo? Like, what drawer did you have to open to get to it, or was it just like in a place <laughs> in a place of honor on your pillow under you under your home? Playboys? <laughs> no, it was because I have like there's still like CDs that I had from back then that I like would listen to when I would like come home from college and stuff. But this one was really tucked away. It was like in it was like with a pile of old stuff in like the room I used like the computer room in my house in my parents house i kind of had to dig for it i didn't think i was going to be able to find it i thought maybe someone would throw it out but here it is unfortunately did you rush out and buy honking on bobo when it was new yeah totally me and my like best friend at the time ned we were both really really psyched about the album i remember he got the version that came with like a little harmonica keychain whoa wait yeah, yeah i was which... gonna ask you didn't you had to, you have to pay extra no. for the harmonica <laughs> Yeah, I got the standard edition, which is just like a regular jewel case CD. So do you know what the price difference is or anything like that? <laughs> no, I'm not really a numbers guy like that, <laughs> but it could be fun to research at some point. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I thought you would know that to get prepared for the app, um, but that's okay. Uh, I was, that. yeah, I mean, why, why were you excited for it? Like, what was your pre, what was your Aerosmith? Well, I mean, we, we want to talk a little bit about what we... Our, our background with with Aerosmith as we generally do on the cast with the artists that we cover but I'm really curious how you got to the point of being excited about the release of Honkin' on Bobo in 2004 well we like talked in the last episode when I was like I remember Shares Believe and I remember it being huge but I remember being like yeah I don't really identify with this like conversely I completely identified with Aerosmith who like actually seemed pretty current at the time for a little kid like in the late 90s, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing was huge. Like, I think that's how I first heard them. And then even the album after that, Just Push Play, mm -hmm. which yes. it had Jaded on it, which was like a huge song that kind of sounded like, like Goo Goo Dolls or something. Mm -hmm. It sounded pretty current. And then, so this was the follow-up to that album. And like, by this time, not to get like too deep into it, but I was like kind of getting into other music, like... I was kind of into like the black keys around this time and the white stripes. And so I think like a band who I thought, you know, like a band like Aerosmith, who kind of seemed like legends to me doing a blues album that like dug into the influences I heard those guys talking about. Wow. It was like a pretty big convergence of my interests. You're into the young bluesmen. Yeah, since the young blues men, it's like, okay, well, here's blues the old men. blues men. Yeah. Blues Showing men. us how it's done. The guys who the, invented it, basically. The, yeah, <laughs> the, heir, the heirs of the Bobo tradition yeah. and the true uh, Bobo masters. Exactly. Like when Alan Lomax was like traveling through the South and he like showed up at Steven Tyler's little shack. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Steven Tyler played a make me a pallet on your floor for him. Like as, he walked down the, as he walked down yeah. the long dirt path, he could hear... <laughs> The sounds of the harmonica in the barn blowing little Walter the, licks. The, lo the, lonesome, put, the lonesome howls. Authenticity <laughs> incarnate. <laughs> so what is it about uh, Honkin' on Bobo that has made it an object of fascination for us? Like we were, this was maybe the second or third album that we were certain we were going to talk about on this show uh, when we first came up with the idea. Well, a couple of things, I think. I mean, first of all, the name, right? This is yes. similar to jtoll.com, is all we needed was that name and the dong of the demon on the cover. 
And this one, yeah. all we needed was honking on Bobo. Similarly to Sam, I remember, like, I can also remember honking on Bobo in that period and just thinking back on it as how, what this is insane that this uh, existed and was called that and did well, relatively well. Uh, but it got, yeah, it was huge. Changed yeah, the world. <laughs> it, 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 it sold, it sold copies. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean like I remember I got, I know Aerosmith also through like MTV VH1 shit because like any MTV VH1, like music history kind of roundup of classic rock. It was so Aerosmith focused. You couldn't watch any like historical show of any kind on either of those stations that didn't have something about walk this way. You would always have to talk about how walk yeah. this way was groundbreaking. That's and, so true. And then, you know, so they were, they were like the rolling stones of that kind of hagiographic MTV history world. Yeah. I feel like growing up in the world of like nineties, classic rock deification, like you have to dig pretty deep to understand that there's like a very big difference between Aerosmith and the Rolling Stones. Right. Like you sort of are told that like they're of the same ilk and the same level of greatness. And yeah, and they and they were on TRL, like Jaded was on TRL. So kids were like, oh cool, these are the masters. Like maybe like maybe like I didn't like it in the way that I would like a Goo Goo doll song at the time, but I was like, I I respect this, you know? Yeah. It's real music. And you know what? I I do jaded at karaoke sometimes, and I think jaded is pretty is pretty sick, pretty sick guitar riff. So I would take yeah. jaded over a lot of classic um, Aerosmith singles, to be honest with you. Mm. I'm not afraid to say it, but yeah, honking on Bobo. The title, I think, the title was yeah. the thing that we got into. Which also, like you know, probably something we're going to talk about about this album is the pretty uncomfortable way that you know Aerosmith is like treating black music in mm. general and uh Stephen or Joe Perry's ex- explanation for what the title is that it was just a phrase that sounded jazzish and nastyish so mm. it works for us it's like that not, just kind of feels racist not okay not okay <laughs> yeah. at all <laughs> some like old-timey blackface version of an album title uh yeah not not cool stuff um i i when i grew up i had a poster for the armageddon movie in the wood paneled basement that was sort of my and my brother's place to hang out i fucking loved armageddon Mm. uh so an iconic soundtrack definitely yeah and uh don't want to miss a thing i unabashedly loved that song um i never really felt like i needed to explore Aerosmith very deeply even when I went into my deep classic rock phase but I did have an older friend who was like the guy who introduced me to Pink Floyd and like had the poster of the Pink Floyd album covers painted on the naked ladies backs in his room and he was always telling me that Aerosmith was the shit and this was around the time Bobo came out and I remember hearing it from him and even then being like I don't think this is very good uh, and then a nice fun little personal detail is also that I interned at the recording studio in Boston where Just Push Play was made. So I looked, looked at the gold record on the wall. A lot there. of history there. I just, that's like, I have so many memories associated with that album. That album is how I learned the term avant-garde 
because wow. of this song called Avant Garden. <laughs> Is that which a- I had to ask. I had to like ask a parent, like my mom, what that means. And she was like, oh, it's a pun. A bad pun. <laughs> and and that, was a, that was a gateway to learning about cinema verite. <laughs> yeah, that's where it all started, boys. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I didn't know we were getting into personal origin stories so deep. Like our characters, I can't help it. Yeah, like being here, mm-hmm. it's just like it's all coming back. Wow. <laughs> uh, before we get into things, get into sort of the deep history and the album, I have, you know what, for you guys. Well, first of all, do we have any updates, any personal updates that we want us to share? Well, uh, you turned 32 the other day. Happy boy to birthday. No, 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 no. 33. 33? Dirty three. Oh. Jesus' age. 33. Jesus' okay. age when he rose again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were hanging out in Prospect Park, and you had a lot of updates about what your plans for the next year are that I feel like our listeners would be interested in. Oh, wait, what were they? Um <laughs> I, was, I remember there was plans to start a male wig company. Well, that's been a plan that, for a long time. That was called wig, Wigmans, wig, sort of similar Wigmans, to Bluesmen. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Bluesmans. A, normally I don't have a sympathetic audience for this startup idea, but I had I, people were really with me on it. Um, yeah, yeah it was, I just think that it was a provocative conversation. This could be a whole other hour-long podcast, so I'm going to keep it short. But um, wigs need to be destigmatized among hip young people and i'm bald i'm balding rapidly and i instead of, i really don't like the vibe of just the fully bald head uh as a thing for in my future um so i want to bring wigs back in a big way and kind of get like the cut maybe we would do a piece on the wig resurgence and um you know i, I think it could be a real hipster kind of thing that would just i don't know i think i think men would feel freer men men have been oppressed for too long in terms of this having to go bald all the mm-hmm. way to kind of look respectable so Uh-oh. okay all right <laughs> that's the pitch wigman's coming soon to a uh, the app store you know those like boardwalk hats or like saint mark's like tourist store hats that's like a rasta colored knit cap with like fake dreadlocks that come out from under it i feel like maybe wigman's could do a fedora that has some kind of like joe perry hair coming out from under the fedora and maybe maybe Mm. we have a promotional tie-in with this episode okay and just a thought get serious all right that's not that kind of Mm. idea I don't know why you think that's that should get that should get nowhere near the the virtual boardroom as far as I'm concerned. Um, is that okay. what this is now? No, I mean, are we in a virtual boardroom? I, 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 <laughs> I didn't agree to that. I was trying to cut. No, this is the virtual boardroom for Wigman's, which I, I was trying to cut Andy in on the deal um, in Prospect Park. But yeah, I got Am a I lot. Still of, in on the deal? You've never been in on the deal. You've right. never been in on the deal. Okay. Nor should I be because I'm not interested. Until you <laughs> until you send over the contracts about the movie thing, we're not talking about any more ventures together. We're doing this, and I love you from years of being your friend, and I can sit here and talk about bubs with you and just kind of get through the thing, but until we work out the legal end of the other thing, you're not going to be a part of any of my other ventures. That's fine. I respect you. I love talking bubo with you. I don't really give a shit about the Bo-bo. business side of things. 
That's all I got to say. Okay. In it for the love, not the all money. Right. Oh, okay. I'd say, Always I'd say, okay. let's, let's uh, stop wasting airtime on a project that Winston is evidently not going <laughs> to cut either of his partners in on. And <laughs> sounds like a shitty idea anyway. I'm sorry I brought it up, listeners. Jesus Christ. Oh, do you still want to hear the impression or? Yeah, let's hear the impression. <laughs> What is that? That, that's, that sounds like shit over these speakers. Sounds like ass. And the last thing my title is titles going through an update. It sounded like some like nine inch nails atmospheric <laughs> <laughs> instrumental. Or the, something. The, I just do the impression. The last thing we need is Bobo to Swinging sound worse. on my part. Okay, here's the impression, and uh, it might be a little harder than normal. I have to say. So see if you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean that tour that tour man uh absolutely legendary. It's a great to be on the on the road with Steve and Joe and and Brad and there and Tom those guys are legends and you know we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't w- w- without those guys and just kind of getting back to our roots. And you know what I I like to say rock and roll all night and party every day and that's what that tour was about for us, man. That's what that tour was about. And just hearing those old blues tunes and hearing those guys do the hits, you know, just us and the and the stadiums and the chicks were loving it. I mean chicks of all ages were just fucking Ace digging it. No. Paul Stanley. <laughs> no, not quite. Peter Chris. Peter Chris. It's gotta be. Uh, absolutely not. No. And we were I'm just making guess. rock and roll great again. That's what I'm back in back in that in that in there. And uh, I am a, a man that you may know. Uh, oh, Mark St. John. No, no, I'm a guy who's uh, an entrepreneur, uh, Fox News commentator. Um, I I'm the, uh, I'm the Bill O'Reilly. I'm the scariest. Mo- I'm the scariest motherfucker in rock and roll, baby. And I'm known for. Alice a, Cooper. I have a big old Bruce Kulik. I have a big old uh, dingle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gene Simmons. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wow. Good job, does he, Sam. Does, does Gene? Does Gene have a famously big dingle? I don't know. <laughs> so, I don't know anything about that. I think so. <laughs> He's got a long tongue. He's got a long tongue. That's what I mean. He's got it. Yeah, it's more of a Freudian dingle, just like a yeah. Wow, <laughs> Freudian tingling. <laughs> yeah, I, when I see something that's phallic, you know, that's what I called I called dingling. That was that was wonderful. <sighs> yeah, you really nailed that. When I knew who it was, all the clues made sense. Thanks, thanks. I knew it was a member of Kiss, but I thought we had named all the members. Yeah, right. I always forget Gene Simmons was in Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, okay. Let's get into this fucking shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so usually we talk a bit about the history of the band. I feel like I want you to close your eyes and imagine the city is Cleveland. The venue, the municipal stadium, the date, July 28, 1979. A couple of boys from Boston, they've gotten their start playing down in Dirty Blues. One of them had a jam band that was just called Jam Band. They got together, they formed Aerosmith. They made a couple hit records. They became extremely famous. But then things were on the downturn. There were drugs, there was excess, 
There was a famous clash of personalities between the singer Steven Tyler, the lead guitarist Joe Perry. And on this night in Cleveland, the bill was actually insanely good. It was Aerosmith, ACDC, Ted Nugent, Journey, before Journey was huge, and Thin Lizzy. It was part of a, uh, a series of concerts called the World Series of Rock. And Alyssa Perry, Joe Perry's wife, and Terry Hamilton, Tom Hamilton's wife, I guess they didn't get along very well. They were screaming at each other backstage before the show. According to Alyssa in the Aerosmith biography, Walk This Way, something happened. Things were said. Terry and I didn't get along at all. I remember asking her something, sarcastic, and she might have thrown some ice at me. I had a glass of milk in my hand because I drank milk exclusively. Uh-oh. And, and, and then she just trails off. But, ladies and gentlemen, we now know what happened next. Aerosmith tried to keep it under wraps for years. Tom Hamilton said they'd be completely embarrassed if word ever got out that the band had essentially broken up over a milk fight between the, mem- the wives of two members. Alyssa Perry chucks her glass of milk at Terry Hamilton. Mm. They scream at each other. The band is supposed to go on. They can't get their focus backstage because milk is flying. They put on the show. Afterwards, Steven Tyler confronts Joe Perry. What the fuck, man? Your wife can't be throwing milk around back here. Mm. Joe Perry's like, hey, she she said what she had to say. She did what she had to do. Mm. And Steven Tyler says, you're fired. And Joe Perry says, you can't fire me because I quit. Wow. And for a time, that was the end of the classic lineup of Aerosmith. Starts a dark period for them. They make a couple albums without Joe Perry. Nothing's really clicking. Eventually, Tom Hamilton quits too. Then, Joe Perry and Tom Hamilton wander into a Aerosmith concert. They're like, fuck, we gotta do this again. And they do. They get back together. Uh, They make a record called... Done With Mirrors, that's supposed to be their big comeback. Doesn't really do anything for them. Run DMC comes calling, and uh, they make a version of Walk This Way. It's groundbreaking, as they say, on all the MTV and VH1 shows. Mm. Uh, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry re-record some parts for this new version of Walk This Way. becomes a huge hit. All of a sudden, uh, years 1986 and Aerosmith are as famous as they've ever been. And uh, after that the band kind of takes a turn where they start hiring these pop songwriters uh their sound becomes increasingly slick and poppy uh culminating with um i would say i don't want to miss a thing this huge diane warren power ballad which is a pretty great song but you couldn't really say that it rocks very hard um and at some point they decided uh they needed to get back to the sleaze the grit Mm. the blues the blood, yes, the sweat, yes, the cum. Yes. Yeah. Say cum? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice. Is that okay with you? I was thinking of it, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I, mean, I insert um, something in there? Oh, yeah, please. Another bodily fluid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the bile. <laughs> no, I was going to say they don't decide they need that. One Joe Perry decides they need that. Okay, go on. 
Um, let me see if I can find the portion of the book where we talk about that. But yeah, I've always can you specify what in... the book is? Yeah, it's Joe Perry's book "Rocks: My Life in and Out of Aerosmith," which is a really Wait. beautiful book. When evangelical Christians like talk about the good book and everyone knows they're talking about the Bible, if you spend enough time around uh, Sam, you understand that when he says the book, he's referring to... Yeah. What's it called again? It's called <laughs> Rocks, My Life in and Out of Aerosmith by Joe so Perry. When, wow. Forward by um, uh, Johnny Depp. So when you hear Sam talk about the book, you know he's talking about Rocks, My Life in and Out of Aerosmith by Joe Perry yeah. with a forward by forward Johnny by, yeah. Bless us all. And baby. there's a surprisingly long chapter on Bobo, but I think it's just because the album like represents the dynamic between Joe Perry and Steven Tyler, which, I mean, I love you, Winston, but if anyone's ever been in a working relationship where one person has these huge commercial ambitions wow. and you have more like integrity or artistic ideas. That's kind of what's going on. Sam's here. on the verge of tears here. <laughs> I don't I don't know why we can't just get through the fucking episode. Okay. <laughs> so um, this is the section where Joe Perry comes up with the idea. I called Steven and said, look, when it comes to this new record, why don't we just simplify things? How, he asked, by making a blues record. We can do it in two months. We can cover the blues songs we love the most, the ones we've been listening to our whole lives. It's a way of getting back to our roots and having some fun. Silence. I could hear Stephen thinking. What do you say, I asked. <laughs> Sounds okay. Stephen's tone told me that he was doing it only to appease me. He really wanted a hit record. So did I. But I also clung to my conviction that the best music does not come from a place of, quote, let's write hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A parable. Yeah. True. True as hell. So and that brings us to Bobo. Right, because the other thing was the tour was booked. They had like a tour in the fall. They had zero songs. Steven Tyler was completely uninterested in like penning new music or new ideas, which this book, which is like basically like just constant slander against Steven Tyler is like, I later found out he was battling hepatitis C yes. and that was consuming a lot of his time. Yeah, so. exactly. I knew that. The tour, the tour was with Kiss, which is why, yeah, exactly. why I oh, okay. did the impression there. So just so the listeners understand. They, I mean, they were kind of ostensibly... And their quotes, they were reacting to people's reactions to just push play, right? I think that's kind of retrofit onto the narrative. I genuinely think at the time they didn't have any songs. They had a tour booked. Like, time was running out. They needed to do something quick. The label didn't like the idea. Steven Tyler didn't like the idea, but it was like, what else are we going to do? Right, right. It's a pretty it's a pretty good way to position an album that was, like, marketing-wise, it's a good way to position an album that would have just been really easy to make like right. we wanted to do this uh-huh. and did yeah. did honking on bobo sell well it went to uh number five on the charts yeah all right yeah and nothing to sneeze at in a lot of major publications almost anything you can find online about honking on bobo critically is positive and i do rem- i do remember rolling stone i guess it was probably david frick yeah like I remember reading that review and being like, I guess I got to check out Honkin' on Bobo. Yeah, um, I remember that at the time too. And yeah, I would say it's some of the worst piece of shit I've ever heard. Maybe the most aesthetically racist rock album I've ever heard. 
<laughs> like just well you know what let, let's let the music speak for itself here for a minute yeah can i ask at the beginning of roadrunner steven tyler like does this little announcement and ever since i was a kid listening to it i have no idea what the fuck he says is he saying come see the elephant <laughs> i i hadn't noticed He's like, ladies and gentlemen, come see the elephant. That's what I always thought it was. Come see the Aerosmith. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that wouldn't make... Yeah, I don't know what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. Let's go see the elephant. (laughs) I think he does say the elephant. So this is a uh, Bo Diddley song. Much better to hear him play it. Uh, I have a particular section of this song I'd like to highlight, if you guys don't mind. Andy, I can't really hear you over the sound of the music. Yeah, this is going to be a problem with this, because there's fucking no dynamics except loud, yeah. as loud as possible. Yeah. It's also, when you play it, you just want to blast it. True. You just got to blast it. This problem gets a a quote that I thought was fascinating from Tom Hamilton, the bass player, which is when he was talking about what the, about the album on some making of VH1 doc, they had him for every fucking album that they put out. So I watched one. He was like, we turned up our amp so loud that we couldn't really call it a blues album. It's a rock record. I was thinking, like, that's the distinguishing, like, what what arbitrary, like, we made it so fucking loud it turned into rock. Like, I'm just, like, so I'm very confused by that idea, but um, that, was all, that was all it took, I guess. If they had just turned the amps down a little bit. And played the yeah, exact same notes, it would have been a Delta yeah. Blues album. <laughs> okay, here's a little section of this song that I just want you guys to hear. The guitar solo, which Steven Tyler announces. Guitar solo! <laughs> guitar solo! <laughs> like, he doesn't play anything. It's just... Weenie, 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 weenie. Uh, there's all sorts well, of shit like that on uh, on this record. I mean, it's just... Like... Uh, like... St- Tyler screaming... To, he, he also laughs at his own uh, harmonica solo on uh, I'm Ready. And the solos are just like... Like, that solo that Joe Perry just played literally was just one two three four well I often say blues isn't about the notes you play (laughs) what is it about (laughs) period just like Chuck Berry dude it's the roots of rock and roll all the leads are like they have sort of like the shape of like cool rock and roll guitar playing but like nothing happens it's just like Wow! <laughs> like he like rarely ever plays anything. Which like if, if, if there was it's like cool, get me out of the studio. I, I, just I, I'll play whatever I can so that it doesn't sound wrong, and yeah. then let's just go home. I'm I'm all for ragging on Bobo, but are you implying that Joe Perry isn't one of the guitar greats of rock and roll? Is that what's going I, on here? I am implying that. And I'm also saying that, like, if there were good playing on this album, I would be open to something like this on some level. Like, 
but they're not even like playing cool solos like there's no feel in the band it's just like yeah it's more it of just a just feels completely lifeless it's more of a riffs yeah. album really so yeah uh-huh. if you can't I get into like, riffs then i guess you wouldn't like it but i, I like some riffs. of the solos and riffs and baby please don't go which i think is the only song from this that made it to their live set but i think joe gets some good some good leads That's true. in there it was our single yeah and it's also like the only one that is remotely like good to listen to for me mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> just good to listen no, to no, i know about yeah. i know what you mean about the guitar playing <laughs> yeah. But I, I hate he's it. Like, he sounds into it. Yeah. You hate it, when, though? I, I hate every song on this album, but this one is probably the best. And the guitar playing. I understand the appeal of the guitar playing. <laughs> I mean, listen to that shit. It's, yeah, doesn't, don't you just love it? Kind of like the Black Keys, I guess, right, Sam? Well, at the time, I thought so. Yeah. Just the worst rote kind of harmonica thing to start off with. <laughs> yeah. This one at least has this sort of like unhinged quality to it that uh, I'm not saying I like it, but like if I had to pick one on this record as my favorite song, I would easily I'm with yeah. you. I mean, it's they're they're better at like doing this. This is more like rockabilly or early rock and roll, like yeah. And and they're they're more convincing at that than trying to do like. Mississippi Fred McDowell shit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny what? he talks about like turning the amps up because this to me is like the most like artificial sounding band performance ever. Like it doesn't even sound like an amp. It sounds like he's like just plugged his guitar into a computer or something. Or, like, even like MIDI instruments. It reminds me of um. Like that Todd Rundgren blues album, Todd Run- Todd Rundgren's Johnson. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I've never heard that. You've never heard of Todd Rundgren's Johnson? I've, I've, I, I, I know a fair amount about Todd no, Rundgren. No, we've never I've heard never... of Todd Rundgren's Johnson. Oh, my God. It's his covers album of Robert Johnson, but he did it all on, like, GarageBand. He's like, like, MIDI instruments. Jesus Whoa. fucking Christ. You could be making... This yes. could be, like, one of the albums that you make up at the end of the episode. No, I swear to God, this one's wow. real. Holy and if, shit. if you, like, put it in, you should just listen to, like, the first 10 seconds of it, because it's, like, the funniest I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely going to patch it in to us. Yeah, it sounds like an art project, whereas this sounds like... All this sounds like to me is like, get me out of the studio, get me back on my boat. I want to be done with this. Yeah. I I mean, it sounds like maybe they had fun in the room by turning their amps up, and then the engineer or whatever just took direct outs from their amp and like plugged it into some fucking horrible effects or something <laughs> just use those tracks and like it's cool they got those guys had fun in the room but you know we're gonna make it sound yeah. like the shittiest let's pop get the, rock record let's get, let's get the line six pod out and uh <laughs> dial in the blues stack preset oh I, I was texting you guys like maybe we should pick our our least favorite yeah. songs i'm curious if there are ones that other people remotely like but also we could just get into the shit the one that I I wouldn't say I remotely like because it's very bad, but the one that sort of I found the most challenging to assess was the f- closing song, Jesus is on the Main Line, which is like a, one of the many or one of several Mississippi Fred McDowell songs that they do on here. 
And it's like the only one where they kind of try to do it in a sort of faithful way. Yeah, I'll, I'll clear this up for you. It's definitely not good. But it's kind of like, okay, so on Sticky Fingers, Rolling Stones do a Fred McDowell song that also appears here, You Gotta Move. And like this basically sounds like the Rolling Stones treatment of You Gotta Move, which is great. And it just leaves me wondering, like, what is the fine line that separates something like this from something that I actually like? Oh, this is just awful. <laughs> I know, it's first, really bad. First of all, they've decided to have a fake gospel choir type yeah, the, thing. Yeah, the choir is part of it for sure. Yeah. This album kind of represents everything I don't like about rock music, period. And mm. I like the Stones a lot, but if, for me, so growing up, my dad uh, is really into folk and blues music and has made field recordings of um, recording people on their front porch in Kentucky or the Ozark. So I, I was raised with an idea about what was good. And so when I was getting into the Rolling Stones records, I like hated all of the love in vain anything that was like imitating kind of black delta blues music um mm -hmm. and there's still a big part of me that feels that way even with the rolling stones but I, but i think that like the way keith richards plays and jagger's voice the way those records are produced it does create another ambiance obviously like it when dylan does blues stuff because he's completely taking it to his own perspective lyrically but um for the most part, I pretty much hate all renditions of traditional blues and folk music by rock musicians in a certain, especially with a certain aesthetic. And this would, so this would be bottom, bottom end for me, this one, because the the worst are, are, are the ones that kind of, for me, are the ones that kind of take blues songs that explicitly identify like, oh, I'm doing X in the small town, or there's like a gospel-ish element to it. Something about Steven Tyler screaming this stuff really just uh, irks some very ancient part of me. I don't know. It's almost like the tra traditional stuff is worse in a sense for me on this record, <laughs> even though it's less obnoxious to listen to on a visceral level. I, I think part of why it, 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 it falls flat for me too is like, if you compare it to the stones, okay. You know, people say the blues are all about like pain and, uh, like spiritual torment and all that, which is true sometimes, but blues players are also like very stylish a lot of the time as well. And like the stones can play with convincing enough style and, and Jagger can perform the role of the blues singer, like in a way that I think shows more attention to the the actual fundamentals of the music than like Steven Tyler oh, and Joe Perry are able to. Totally. They just don't understand the style. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a ch there's a real charm especially when you read about the beginnings of the Stones to how deep they were in the stuff. I mean, it sucked because they didn't credit the artists appropriately early on, but then they got better with it. Um Yeah, yeah. And just kind of subsumed it into their this kind of mystical white universe of like you know, you know what I mean? Just like that early rock and roll self-deification vibe that was borrowing from kind of, you know, poor people in Mississippi, which kind of, yeah, which I, I pretty much hate that as a concept. However, like the Stones 
aesthetically were such a revolutionary band and the moods that they create on those songs is is something I've really come around to. But like, there's no mood. Like Steven Tyler can't play into a mood even with somebody else in his band. It's just like shrieking, you know? It's just like, yeah. it's like a juxtaposition of elements in Aerosmith. Um, and there's no wonder they have to turn up their amps all the way and play the way they do because that's the only way they could match the one completely one noted vibe of Steven Tyler. I mean, I'm right now I'm hating on That's all true. kind of fundamentally hating on all, all Aerosmith, which you guys might not agree with, but um, it's no, never, it's, it's never been so crude. <laughs> I've never heard it be so crude on this, but that's also because so much of this record is basically blackface to me. Like, yeah, uh, it, I think like the bottom line for me is like, you can't really fake connection to music that you're covering which is like, it becomes immediately apparent to me where it's like Joni Mitchell singing standards. I'm like, this music is in your blood. Like, you you know, or like Bruce on We Shall Overcome. It's like, you know, or like even the Rolling Stones early in their career, which is to say not on Blue and Lonesome, where it sounds like an exercise. When it yeah, sounds yeah. like an exercise, it becomes a curio. And it's like, I would imagine like critics at the time, there's like a good narrative to latch on to because it's like, you know, this band is like, I guess in some ways, like ignoring commercial ambitions and like, you know, doing like something more historical or with more integrity, I guess. But like the truth of the matter is, it's just like, I don't know, there's no heart to it or presence or real connection to the rest of their work. Yeah. When you consider it in the context of them like having a tour booked and needing to finish an album, like the premise just becomes so cynical of like, what's yeah. this like totally half-ass easy thing we can just bang out and right. then sell as this sort of like noble return to tradition or something like that right. people should treat in this really reverent way. Uh, <laughs> the only thing ridiculous. It's like um, that Neil Young album in 2012 where it's like him and Crazy Horse playing like all the traditional, like the trad R songs, like Oh My Darling Clementine, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, the songs yeah. they wouldn't have to pay royalties on. But even that, there's like a kind of challenge to it. This is just pure like, it's like an entrepreneurial idea, less than like yeah. a creative idea. Yeah, there's yeah. something, there's some there's some kind of, you know, thing that's hard to pinpoint on on why records by like this by certain artists are more pal palatable or feel more like rooted in some genuine eccentricity with them that's like worth tuning into. Um, my least favorite is definitely Eyesight to the Blind, I think, because oh, yeah. that's like actually mm -hmm. one of my favorite blues songs. Again, it gets at like, Every song in this also gets at this thing where it's like all secondhand. It's all passed through some early rock version, well-known version of the song. Like the the who yeah. the who did I said to the blind. Obviously, there's it's, a quote in the book like that where Joe Perry is like, like these were covers of covers. How much realer can you get than that? And I don't think he's being like tongue in cheek. Like I think he's like it's like paying our debt. Yeah, this one. There's a whole there's a whole aspect where they're talking about the record and, and Stephen Tyler's like yeah we wanted to pick sexy ones you know and this mm. one is just like oh god I don't know Joe Perry at least got a little lead off right there yeah it sounds like a keyboard preset though <laughs> there he is again with that Chuck Berry thing. Yeah. Ugh. 
Wie denn der? I can't think of anything in like that we've covered in this or Welcome to Chicago. Remember PC Mobley? Like anything that we've yeah. covered on our podcast that is this dialecty and like Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. It's just not it's just inexcusable. Uh yeah, so that's my least favorite. I think it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah that one is my least favorite as well but just for the sake of variety i'm gonna also shout out back back train mm. yet another fred mcdowell song performed by joe perry as the lead vocalist this man cannot summon even the tiniest bit of enthusiasm for the vocals that he's delivering well it's, it's, like it's almost the, endearing to me <laughs> well, well, he's trying to imitate kind of the more understated Delta Blues thing, I think, but it's just, he's not a, a singer and he has no soul or life. <laughs> and he's like basically a reanimated zombie as a human anyway. Like his whole vibe is, is, is always kind of, seems like a dead man walking. That is what he sounds like here. This one truly is like, just get me the fuck out of here and back to my mansion. Yeah, where's Steven Tyler in the studio right now? A few times towards the end of the song. He can't even do backing vocals on it. Towards the end of the song, he's like, woo, yeah. Well, that's obviously pasted in from another recording. Skip, skip to 235. Yeah. Yeah, that's clearly from Sweet Emotion or something. He, just, he, he does a few found other a ones. sample. Yeah. You can hear him there. Yeah. I did wonder, like, whether he's doing that live or whether it's like, all right, Steve, get in the booth. It's like, yeah. just like, at some point, just like, say yeah. <laughs> I go like, dude, looks like a lady. Can you, can you go similarly to I'm Ready at 239? There's this whole thing that runs the album. It's almost like rap ad libs, but it's like, you, it's like supposed to be creating this idea I think of them all being around in the room and being like nice solo right. and like yeah I love to hear it and like as if yeah. they're like passing around ideas so I yeah. think in I'm Ready this is like Steven laughing at his own harmonica solo Can we do it while we're talking about Joe Perry? Can we do a brief tangent about his solo album? Oh yes, please. You're gonna have to lead the lead the way on that, though. Well, can you? Can I tell you to bring it up? Yes, you can. And can I tell you to? Uh, you know, you're gonna have to tell me the name of Joe Perry's solo album, <laughs> though. I'm not gonna be able to just pull it up for myself on Spotify. Wouldn't you know? It's just called Joe Perry. Wow. <laughs> Is it his first solo album? No. No. Is it? <laughs> How many are? No, there? it's not. How many are there? There was a few before that, and there's a well, bunch there's, after. There's the 2018 Joe Perry album, Switzerland Manifesto. Yeah. There's the 2009 oh, I remember that. Joe I remember Perry that. album, Have Guitar, Will Travel. Ooh, and here so we are, tight. 2005, with the self-titled Joe Perry album. What do we want yeah. here, Sam? Um, you could put Hold On Me on in about like 58 seconds in. This came immediately after Honkin' on Bobo, like a year later. And I really get the sense these were songs he was writing with the hopes that there would be a new Aerosmith album pre-Babo. 
that would be original songs, like maybe like trying to get Steven Tyler amped up to make a new record together, and that all of them got rejected. And because he like in his book, he's like, I was proud of it. I wrote like pretty much all the songs. It was like emotional. There's just like a taste of what he maybe imagined their new album would sound like. <laughs> Some beautiful, beautiful pipes. <laughs> Expressive. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> Sam can barely contain his mirth. <laughs> so it is. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. A thirteen-year-old oh, wrote that's that song. Unfor- that's really some sad stuff, right oh, there. Just, <laughs> that's really all there is to say about it. I just thought it would yeah. be an interesting and you know response to some of the Bobo stuff. Yes, uh, I'm just uh, sc- scrolling through the Perry discography, looking at Switzerland Manifesto, and on that record, he's got um, two songs in a row. Uh, haberdasher blues, mm. you know, because he really the, feels the hat thing down low old time blues. The, the hat thing is is full on there, and he's wearing <laughs> yeah. a hat on the cover. And then the next one's called Spanish Sushi. Damn, sounds like a track on jtol.com. Yeah, wow, it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, since we're talking about like what a, a original uh, like Aerosmith album made at this time might have sounded like they did do one original on here which we should probably yes. talk about called the grind yeah yeah um i'm gonna see if i can find the lyric in the grind where steven tyler rhymes kiss butt and guess what mm, yes yeah. that's just beautiful stuff as songwriters we've all fallen on that crush mm. yes the classic kiss butt guess what rhyme Do you like that piano, Winston? I absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Kiss butt and guess what? It's like a Kiedis move. Yes, it is kind of Kiedis-esque. I heard this song for the first time and I immediately pulled out my phone and Googled Aerosmith the grind lyrics because I was like he cannot possibly have just said kiss butt yeah yeah <laughs> but he did well he certainly did I I think my least favorite thing about this song is kind of like the self conscious back padding from like the minute the song starts and they're like let's take it real slow and dirty <laughs> like the tempo the mm. tempo is the worst part of the song it's like the most half assed like electric blues vibe. I mean, it's just horrible. It's just horrible from the fr- yeah. the first two seconds. Anyway, and they had a co-writer on this who's like one of the dudes they started bringing in in the late '80s. I think like Marty Fredrickson or something. It was just just like uh, old Marty. You can't even do like the tossed off like single original on your blues album without like bringing in outside help. At this point, it's pretty sad. Yeah, that made me wonder if it was like a leftover idea that they had in the past, like. I'm just curious True. at what stage they were like, it'd be nice if we had an original song on this. And then at what stage they were like, we can't write it ourselves. 
Like we need someone to help. <laughs> it's kind we of got, we got to be making some kind of publishing royalties on this album. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Put like one on there wasn't even the single or anything. It's just like stick it in there. You know, another another thing we we really need to point out about this the audacity of this choice is is um is har- oh, is I harrowing. I can't. I couldn't get even get through. I haven't gotten through the whole thing. I actually made a note in my phone that also contains the word audacity about the song I assume you're referring yeah. to, which I'm just going to put on now. What'd you say, baby? Here we have Steven Tyler trying to wear the shoes of Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Just like, just like one of the great, one of her greatest recordings. Uh, of course, he changed it from Never Loved a Man to Never Loved a Girl. Classic. Shit. Yeah. You don't think he steps up to the plate? Wait till, <laughs> wait till the chorus drops here. Like, God, Jesus. Something that I was doing uh, this morning, uh, which really underscores the badness of this album, was like going by, going through. Um, track by track like okay i'm going to listen to bo diddley uh singing roadrunner and i'm going to listen to aretha franklin singing never loved the man Damn. and i'm gonna listen to mississippi fred mcdowell sing jesus on the main line and it's like some of the most amazing music yeah. ever made yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aerosmith 101 baby a crash course <laughs> yeah. in their history one of my least favorite like classic rock hits is uh piece of my heart the janice version of that which is so much eclipsed the original which was by irma franklin and that's like one of my favorite songs ever and this is just like some evil undead version of that um for you know yeah. stone temple pilots fans or something i, I don't know what the fuck. it's just like <laughs> is i do feel like steven tyler if you asked him like give me like who are the great blues singers like I feel like Janis Joplin is maybe on his list. Oh, definitely. There's a little 100%. bit of uh, there's a little bit of Joplin uh, in his vocal style. Yeah, I mean, what's horrible there is you can hear him trying to emulate Aretha-isms too mm-hmm. in a way that's like, oh, bad man. If you if you had to come up with a redeeming quality of Bobo, what is it? You you you're passing it to me first. I'm. I'm asking it. I'm just asking the room. All right. I don't want to go first. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam, you go. Uh, well, <laughs> um, I guess I'd say that it's an attempt for Aerosmith at acting their age and compared mm. with the album they followed it up with like eight years later, their next album, Music from Another Dimension, which <laughs> Great is like actually maybe the worst album I've ever listened to from beginning to end, which is just all over the place. It's like American Idol ballads and like weird political songs and weird retreads of old Aerosmith songs. It's just like, there's no continuity. It, like It's clearly them like, throwing everything at the wall like this isn't that (laughs) like joe perry had an idea he called up steven tyler you know steven tyler was like ah shit i'm gonna have to sing an aretha franklin song (laughs) but it is what it says on the cover it's a 
bunch it of blues Hankin songs played by Aerosmith. It's honking on Babo. And yeah, that's the my best defense. We, the best we can do is talk about how bad another Aerosmith <laughs> album is and say <laughs> it's not that. Um, I'll say they at least gave credit to the original. They did not try to that's present true. it as, as anything other than a collection of other people's songs. Yeah, so they maybe could have passed some, them all off. Maybe originals. some kid uh, heard this and decided to dig into the blues tradition in a real way afterwards and and found some good music because of it yeah maybe maybe what i'll say it's pretty simple it's that the title honking on bobo is hilarious and uh, yeah. yeah that it's one of the, you know it, it, i i have i hate the album so much i didn't expect to like I expected this to be more fun for me to kind of razz on, but uh, it makes my skin crawl. But it's still called Honkin' on Boba. They still did market it with a like Happy Meal harmonica toy <laughs> keychain, which is really funny and basically f- so fitting for this music. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, almost a shows like a self awareness. You would think. I mean, it's it's pretty per it's and it and what they did after it with like the Rockimus, it's called like Roximus Maximus was the name of the tour with Kiss, and then they did a tour with Sick. Cheap Cheap Trick, and uh, then the same year, uh, the Polar Express, they were in the movie The Polar Express, uh, singing rock cool. a song uh, alongside a group of uh, elves resembling them. So that's kind of a fun fact. That's that's I. I'll, that's that part that thing about the polar express is my favorite thing about honking on bobo i yeah. feel like it's tied to that so can i show you guys the in the uh inside cover Ooh, what what's he got in there oh. is that a, it's a harmonica in his oh, harmonica. <laughs> yeah it's, it's i think it's a woman i'll describe it for listeners unless you cut this out but um it's what appears to be a lady um in tight jeans <laughs> a lady uh and no top and she has a harmonica emblazoned with the Aerosmith logo kind of tucked into her jeans. I mean, no one's going to say that isn't hot. It's hot. Yeah, I was going to say, well, Daddy likes. <laughs> yeah, Daddy, Daddy likes. Well, it, it, it ties in, of course, to the front cover, which uh, features a harmonica with lipstick uh, stains on it. So, Yes. And I seem to remember, I can't back this up as, you know, with any sources, so maybe just disregard what I'm going to say. But I feel like at the time, I remember reading a lot of denials from the members of Aerosmith that the title was supposed to be like some kind of slang for fellatio. Yeah, I remember that too. I remember, I think Steven Tyler said something about like his, like his young daughter called his harmonica Babo. (laughs) <laughs> the title was like about it playing it uh, but maybe that's bunk too on the album art they are certainly not uh avoiding the phallic implication of the harmonica at all right they're embracing that just yes. just miserable but i mean yeah. hot but you know crass <laughs> hot but miserable yeah. right So, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, Winston celebrated his 33rd birthday uh, the other day, and at a little gathering in a park, I was reminded of a story uh, that feels especially pertinent to this episode, uh, which is that uh, Adeline Hotel, this band that Winston plays piano in, uh, was was recording at a studio upstate, and... uh, 
at this studio, Black Dirt. It's a wonderful place. Uh, there's a little apartment where you get to sleep when, while you're recording. And uh, one of the members of the band, who I believe didn't really know Winston all that well yet at the time when they were making this record, woke up one morning to Winston standing at the refrigerator of that apartment and singing, Dude looks like a great <laughs> I can't believe we haven't done that before. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Singing to the bottle of Grady's in the fridge that he was about to drink to get juiced up for the big session. And what do you know, the album they made, Solid Love by Adeline Hotel, is a wonderful record. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the Grady's they were drinking that morning. Um, Grady's Cold Brew, if you guys aren't familiar, uh, is a... It's a coffee concentrate made in the Bronx by a, a great um, friend of the podcast named Grady. Um, you can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and order it. Uh, it comes in all sorts of forms, like bottled, or you can brew your own, or you can get this giant case of Grady's, uh, whatever you want. Um, you can drink it cold. You can also drink it hot. You can make cocktails with it. You can make a Grady spritzer with cold brew concentrate and seltzer water. And uh, if you go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and enter the code LATEERA20. If you're a first-time buyer based in the U.S., they'll give you 20% off. They're friends of ours. They're going to be friends of yours soon, too. I am surprised that it's taken this long for it to come up across two podcasts where we talk about Grady's constantly. So yeah, this was the perfect moment. Mm. All right. Okay, so now we are on to the final section of our show. It's called Fantasies and Delusions. Uh, maybe at this point we can say that uh, the season finale of season one of Late Era that's uh, going to be happening in, I guess, a few weeks uh, is going to be about this album, Fantasies and Delusions. It's Billy Joel's opus of solo classical piano music. Uh, it looms large in the cosmology of Late Era. And uh, each, each week we judge the album that we're talking about by the metric of whether it's a fantasy or a delusion. Good albums are fantasies, bad albums are delusions. Uh, does anybody want to go first? Yeah, I'll start. Um, Hakanon Babo, as much as it's a mythic piece of lore and a crucial part of my childhood, I have to say it's a delusion. It's Aerosmith doing what they do best, which is embarrassing me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the thing that's like particularly sad is not only is it an artistic failure, it also didn't accomplish the one thing they wanted, which was to get an album out and finish their Sony contract. Because by the time they approached Sony with the idea, sadly, Sony had no choice but to agree but decided that it wouldn't count as their next album. It would, they, it would be a different part of their contract that wow. it was fulfilling. I didn't know that. So the one thing Joe Perry wanted, which was just to get something out, finish the contract, he couldn't even do. And he had to wait another eight years for uh, music from another dimension, which, wow. like I said, is awful. So, yeah, stinker, delusion. Um, I think it's a fantasy. <laughs> just kidding. I don't have anything to say about it. It's a delusion. I feel like we've been ripping uh, on it for an hour. And at this point, I'm starting to feel sort of bad for Aerosmith, so I don't want to pile on anymore. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, we didn't even really talk about any Aerosmith that we do like. I did. Jaded. You said, uh, you, said you liked Jaded. I, like I love Jaded. the album Rocks. That's like one of my favorite albums of the 70s. I stand by it. 
I love the song Sweet Emotion, and that's about as far as I'll go. Nice. Uh, yeah, this is like... Um, my, my, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say my partner Gabby is a big Aerosmith fan and can sing... Uh, I don't want to miss a thing from beginning to end with no accompaniment, and that, that's a beautiful thing, so I like all of the uh, joy that they've brought into her life. Yeah, I have a lot of sentimental value for that song as well. Does she? Did she like Bobo? She like honking? I don't know that she's ever uh, honked on Bobo herself. I see. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I hope I hope that she never has to. Yeah, this is a delusion. This is um, a, de- a depth, the depth of delusion that I didn't even think we'd maybe get to on this podcast. I I hate it so much. Uh, I think it's it's so emblematic of all the problems with kind of our view like a like a passed down kind of rock guy do like version of of rock history like what where it comes from and what we should value and uh just like the you know sort of gets back to the racist start of popular music like beyond rock just like appropriation of the worst most diluted sort and there's something even more alienating about the fact that they did this as a throwaway, no matter how much they tried to um, position it not that way um, in interviews. It's just like no self-consciousness, just launching into the, the worst tendencies of, of rock musicians of the 60s and 70s. So terrible piece of shit. Uh, I... It, Go on making jokes about the name, everyone. Don't actually listen to a minute of this. Um, so that Damn. that's fantasies and delusions. Do we want to give a quick preview of the fantasies and delusions episode? Yeah, to thank people yeah. for making it through this episode yeah. and this far in the season. Yeah. List, Chopin, Rachmaninoff. This is a list that we have to add another name to. And it's Joel. I did not know music could be like this. I would say he, he here, he's in more of a continental state of mind, more of a um, Vienna, Viennese state of mind. My wife and I actually took a trip to Cove City Sound Studios where he recorded the album. And we actually ran into Bill Zampino there who worked on it. And lovely guy, super emotional conversation, super intense. I laughed my ass off. These are pros. I don't know, perhaps even uh, Parisian. The hints of Debussy here. So, the release date is September 27th, 2001. I'm not going to say that it was healing for me, but I think for a lot of people it was very healing. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We're we're sorry to put you through that. We hope it didn't cause too much uh, mental anguish. We love you as always. This has been Late Era. Sam, do you know what we're talking about next week? Uh, yeah, next week is Jack White boarding house reach. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All too appropriate. It's going to be another album. dark one. Yeah. Bluesman classic. All right, good night, folks. Later See next week. Later is hosted by Andy Cook, Sam Shadomsky, and Winston Cook Wilson. It is edited and produced by Winston Cook Wilson. Original music by Winston Cook Wilson. 
The executive producers of Late Era are Brian Brinkman and RJP. Logo designed by Liz B. Art Design. Late Era is a part of Osiris Media.